Hi, welcome everybody to Undecided. I'm your host, Andrew Shella. Today we have a very, very special guest in the house tonight. Uh, my friend from high school, his name is Jeff. Jeff, tell everybody hello. Hey there, everyone. So one of the exciting things that we're going to be doing today, um, one of the reasons I felt Jeff would be an exceptional guest for today's show um, is his ability to kind of articulate his thoughts um, when it comes to today's political spectrum. Uh, Jeff and I have been good friends since high school. Um, we both um, were basically raised in the same town, Anderson, Indiana, and uh, it's a very it's a very interesting town where there's a lot of different viewpoints. I think it's probably mixed. It's probably more conservative um, when it comes to voting, but um, just in general, it's probably mixed 50-50 as, as far as its viewpoints are, are, are concerned. But uh, throughout the years, Jeff and I have kind of like hashed it out. Um, I've, I've really like started to appreciate his viewpoints more so towards um, the later to closer to present um, time, just as I understand that uh, I, it's always important to see the other side. So, um, Jeff, thank you for uh, coming on the show today. Yeah, glad to be here with you, man. Uh, excited for this. Excellent, excellent. Now, um, do you remember the first time that we have actually, that we met each other? <laughs> yeah, I do, actually. Uh, if, if I recall, it was back uh, in Mr. Schwingendorf's class, freshman year of high school. And uh, if actually, if I remember everything correctly, the first interaction you and I had, I made this Star Wars extra credit video. And, and you absolutely hated it. You said it was the worst thing you'd ever seen. And I think you use those exact words, if I remember. The worst things I ever seen. What? Do you, uh, explain more. Well, we tried to make it funny. Um, our teacher back then, he he was a big uh, Star Wars fan. Okay. And he said that, hey, if you guys made this Star Wars video and put some science, put some biology in it, I'll give you guys some extra credit. And so a after we did it, we made the entire class watch it. Okay. He loved it. Thought it was awesome. Gave us like I think like ridiculous amount of bonus. But I think gave us like fifty bonus points, and out of the entire class of like thirty people, you stood up afterwards and you said, "That is the worst thing I've ever seen. They should lose points for for making us watch that movie." Wow, I actually kind of feel proud of myself for being that way. I didn't even think I was that bold at that young of an age. Oh no, y you weren't afraid back then. I, I think that kind of like builds how our friendship has gone really since that day. Wow, that's amazing. But, I mean, we ended up still staying friends after that, right? Like, so what was, okay, so obviously, like, I kind of, like, you know, pissed you off a little bit during that moment. But but clearly, like, there, despite the, like, us being able to have different viewpoints, like, we were able to stay friends. Oh, of course. I mean, yeah, I, I was pretty upset with you because... I mean, I'm trying to get some extra credit here, and and here's this guy. Like, I'm like, are are you serious right now? Like, you're, you're gonna make me lose these points. But after that, I mean, hey, if I remember, I convinced you to join the swim team next year, and uh, you, you did that your sophomore and our senior year. Uh, great to have you team as a teammate then, but um, that still was another case where you weren't quite cut out for swimming, were you there, Shaw? <laughs> well, like in all fairness, okay. So if we're gonna go right into swimming. Let me say first that swimming was probably one of the best times of my life. I swam for two years for Anderson High School. Um, I was fortunate enough to be part of two good swim teams. 
um, well above average swim teams were I think uh, both years we had state qualified swimmers yeah um, and we had a lot of very um, talented individuals I unfortunately was not that <laughs> any of those individuals but I was able to get a lot better under uh, your your father's system your, your dad to this day I still respect quite a bit as a coach but yes thanks to you and to you know the openness of of you being able to say you know hey let's you should join the swim team I did go ahead and do that and it was probably one of the best decisions of my like high school career so thank you for that oh yeah I mean hey th- those were two great years I'll, I'll be honest without you and a couple other guys I would have been the only person even in our grade in high school on the swim team um, I mean we had a, we had a big team but I had nobody out there. So to have you, it was awesome. Um, you know, you weren't the best swimmer out there, but, I mean, hey. Would you I'm, say it was above average? You were above average. If I remember, my worst stroke, breaststroke, I, I think you beat me one I know time. I that's that. your worst stroke. I'm sorry, what? what? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know why you beat me? Why I beat you what? Well, I was going to say. Why I beat you what? Oh, why? Why? What? Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, you had that one lucky time. Uh, if I remember, it was once with me. We wait, wait, wait. Let me rewind. So, uh, the competition between Jeff and I was it was sort of an anti-competition. You know, anytime you think of competition, you think of you know like LeBron and Kobe, you know Michael and Stockton, or or you know some sort of epic matchup. You know today. Um, you know, McGregor and Mayweather, you know, we were sort of like, it was like competition at the bottom of the barrel. So it was more for humor than it was for anything else. But a lot of people bought in. So um, a lot of our teammates called called this epic matchup WrestleMania. So <laughs> so I'm uh, we had a couple WrestleManias, actually. I think we, what do we have, three WrestleManias in all? We had three. The, the first two, though, I'm, I'm going to be honest for everyone out there. It was in the individual medley, which you swim every stroke in. So yeah, it, it really wasn't a close matchup. But the it third one, it. the grudge match, as if I remember, that's what we called it, the, the, the WrestleMania, match. the grudge match. It was our final one. It was our senior year. Um, we, we were swimming against a team that we knew we were going to beat pretty easily. Richmond. Yes. Um, Richmond, you're losers. <laughs> <laughs> so my dad tells me before the meet, hey, you're swimming breaststroke tonight. Because he loved this WrestleMania, this rivalry between Shella and That's I. It's crazy. Your dad bought into this. He's yeah, like, our, your our dad coach. Had like, your dad's like, I want to see this happen. So he knows that I, I couldn't swim breaststroke to save my life. So he tells <laughs> me, he says, hey, you're swimming breaststroke tonight. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, my ego and everything, senior year, just out the window now. Going up against one of the these newbies on the team, you're swimming the, breaststrokes against uh, breaststroke against one of the worst swimmers on the team. And the, and I'm a guy that I'd been swimming since I was five years old. Five years old. So we swim against each other, and if I remember, you destroyed me in breaststroke. I did well against you. You I did. did not win the race. I think I got second. I think actually our teammate. Uh, who's also a good friend of ours, rest in peace, Nick Childs, had won the race. Yeah, he But uh, I guess that didn't matter as much. Unfortunately for him, his winning was overshadowed by our <laughs> our rematch in the WrestleMania. And, uh, yeah, I did. I did destroy you. And actually, Richmond, I me- it, if I remember correctly, Richmond was actually, like, really, like, 
intrigued by like the whole like dynamic going on because they're like their swim team like kept asking a whole bunch of questions of like what and they were cheering like at the end of it they were i mean they were cheering not like literally for their own teammates but i feel like for me or you like it was like jeffershella 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 it's like who are you gonna be on you know I mean, I, I feel like we were like the Team Edward, Team Jacob before there was Edward and Jacob. I mean, it, it was like, honestly, the entire crowd, nobody focused on this guy who was getting first. It was all about this, like, second place versus, like, uh, was I third? I was probably third place back then. Probably third, yeah. Probably third. third. It was all or based last. on, like, the two of us racing each other, and nobody cared about the guy winning. It was all based on the two of us way behind competing against each other. Yeah, that's – that's uh I would say that's accurate. I would say it's very accurate. Um, those were good times. I remember at the end of our swim season, I, I, uh, I wrote this thing on on MySpace, and it was kind of just like, you know, the ode to the end of the last race, you know. And I feel like I specifically like mentioned you, not directly in name, but just mentioning, you know, a teammate who was like, you know, these are the last times I'm gonna like jump off these blocks to swim for my um hometown team so um they were certainly like extremely good moments in our life and you know i think we both can say they made extremely positive influences but we're not here for positive influences we're here to talk about politics and i by no means have any interest in swaying anyone else's view other than myself i'm just going to be honest right now so as I was saying at the beginning of the pod, um, Jeff has completely different views than mine. I respect that Jeff has completely different views than mine. I lean on Jeff because I want to see the other side. Uh, a lot of times in this world, we like to live in what's, what is frequently called an echo chamber, whereas people um, constantly want to hear what, be around other people that believe this similar views as themselves. And, you know, unfortunately, that's not the way that you're able, you're going to ever be able to strengthen your own argument. The best way to um, let convince others what you believe, not saying that's where I'm at, is to hear the other person's best argument and then just to be able to hash it out. But this is a segment that I'm going to try out today. First time, I'm going to call it What Do You See? So a lot of us out here on the social media realm are able to um, constantly get information from our president, DT, Donald Trump, President 45. Holla at your boy. Hey, don't rip on him. That's the man right there. That's Donald the man. Trump. That's, that's the, the man. man. Art of the deal. Holla at your boy. Um, anywho, he likes to get his message out to the public through a very specific social media platform, Twitter. So one of the ways that I like to start my day, you know, some people like to start it with coffee. Actually, I do like to start it with coffee. But I, I also like to start it with a little bit of Donald Trump because if there's anything that's going to get your adrenaline going, then it's nothing that makes you feel like – there's nothing better than, than you feeling like the world's about to end. And <laughs> the only person who's able <laughs> to make me quite feel like that is our current president right now. So I would like to um, – Jeff, I'm going to – Go to the Twitter page right now for our lovely, lovely president, number 45, and uh, kind of let, let's dissect his tweets here because maybe, just maybe, I'm seeing something that, that you know, I'm not seeing something that I should be seeing. You see what I'm saying? 
Well, I mean, yeah, you, you don't want to bring up any fake news and, and read into that, right? Oh, yeah. What? God forbid the fake news. Fake news is rampant these days. If you ask people what's more rampant between rabies and fake news, they'd say fake news. They'd say fake news is probably on par with AIDS right now. You know what? It might be. Um, I mean, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm actually really thankful, and, and, and maybe I'll just be honest here. I didn't know this fake news existed until 2016, so that's one thing I'm thankful for. We, we, made, we were made aware of the problem. Um, now we know it's out there. So now that we know it's out there, are you saying that we're correcting the problem? Not at all. I mean, it's still out there. CNN is still a network. I don't know if you checked your uh, TV channels the last few days, but CNN is still a news network. Well, I am a millennial, so I do not have uh, cable TV. I uh, rip off other people's um, accounts through various uh, platforms such as Roku. Hey, you know what? That is very millennial. I will admit I do the same thing, but I'm still aware that CNN is a channel, so I I hope you are too. I mean, I'm sure you probably check that a lot being – what you are. Yes, and we're certainly going to get to CNN today. I think it'd be fair that we that we explore three different uh, media platforms today. So we're going to do Twitter, we're going to do Fox Net News Network, so uh, your home court, and then we're going to go to CNN, which is, I guess, um, my home court. Um, now, I'm not going to say I think CNN's the end-all, be-all, and I don't think CNN is something that you should take uh, word for mouth I do believe that they practice journalism to an exceptional standard, but I think even when you do that, there still is always going to be some sort of bias. I think it's fair that I say that up front, and I'm going to say the same thing goes for Fox News. And I'll agree with you there. I mean, hey, I, I like Fox News, love Fox News. I mean, you see my phone, I get the, the Fox News notifications on my phone. I do too. All right. Hey, so you at least get a little bit of what what's correct out there, but... Um, you know, I mean, hey, I'll admit everyone has their own way to put their their spin on a story. Um, I think whether it be from Fox News, CNN, I'm even going to throw MSNBC in there because, in my opinion, they are the worst at it. Just my opinion. Um, you know, you're always going to get the spin off of what they believe, and you're always going to get the writer's opinion in their story. So Fox News, they hire a, a little bit more of the conservative base. And you're going to get that spin. CNN, definitely more of a left-wing uh, liberal bias there, too. So that's the spin you're going to get. And really, at that point, I mean, you're not going to get the uh, unbiased, down-the-middle kind of facts that we should actually be getting. I will I will agree with you there. Okay. So I think the, be- the best part we should start off is with, with – with- Honestly, what I believe the most relevant news is Sean Spicer, a.k.a. Spicy, is uh, he is the White House um, press secretary. So he's the person in charge of address. One of his roles was was one. I think it's still one of his roles. He's not completely residing until August. Um, It was to um, address the media on on tasks and things that are going on the White House specifically concerning the president of the United States. So he is he is resigning. He there's a new communication communications um, chief of staff, um, and that man is named what? Jeff Anthony Scaramucci. Scaramucci. Scaramucci, I believe. So, I might be pronouncing that. Sounds wrong. like he's in the I, mafia. I will be honest with you, but well, he he's not the person replacing. Uh, 
Well, Spicer, so Spicer had multiple roles. Yes. Spicer, one of Spicer's roles was was the same as like what Anthony was Anthony Scarmamucci was doing, right? Yes, but I mean the, the main one replacing him is uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who more is Mike Huckabee's daughter, yep. if if I remember correctly. Yeah. She's gonna do great. The uh, meat man, Mike Huckabee, the meat man. Hey, you know what? He loves meat analogies. Loves it. He's good at them. He's not vegan. But uh, yes, so that is the most relevant news. So um, our uh, lovely, lovely, lovely president, um, which not saying anything negative to him, um, currently went on a Twitter rant this morning. And uh, Jeff, I want you to help interpret this for me. I'm going to read these tweets out. You're going to tell me what you feel about them. And I'm going to tell you what I feel about them. So seven hours ago, which was uh, approximately, what, 4 a.m. this morning? So he's already hard at work. Already yeah, hard at work. Shows he's an around-the-clock president. Yeah. And you know what? You don't even know, was he in the White House at this time? He could have been in a different time zone. Just just saying. Yeah, he probably wasn't. He's... Anyways, uh, a new intelligence leak a new intelligence leak from Amazon Washington Post this time against AG Je- Jeff Sessions. These legal leaks like Comey's must stop. So I'm going to show extreme exclamation to these. But I got to keep going because I want to keep it within the time frame. Another tweet. The failing New York Times foiled U.S. attempt to kill the single most wanted terrorist, El Baghdadi. Their sick agenda over national security. Okay. There's not a period after that. So I should only assume that the tweet that, <laughs> that appeared one hour later, which said, is connected, which said, this morning I will be going to the commissioning ceremony for the largest aircraft carrier in the world, the Gerald R. Ford in uh, Norfolk, West Virginia. Okay, so clearly those didn't connect. Um, I felt like, first off, let me say, the, the, the thing that I see the most here is, was he trying to, get, where was he trying to go with that second tweet seven hours ago? Because I don't know. Are you talking about the one about the, the who is? The failing New York Times. They are failing. Okay. Um, I mean, according to Trump, sure, who I who I trust. Okay. No, I, I really think with that, what he's saying is, you know, and he said this during his campaign is the media, as they, as they should, with their job and their profession, whenever a story gets to them, they run with it and they want the public to know. The problem is, when he has a secret plan, and there's a leaker inside the White House, he. He needs to find out who they are, who leaked that information to the New York Times. They just gave out that information to the public, so now this guy has that chance to get out of there before they do the attack. That that is a valid that is a valid argument there to me, because what he is saying is, you know, the media they release this information prior to us doing our job. That is that is part of the problem with social media, with instant news getting to the public. It's just one of those things that, you know, they wouldn't have thought about a couple hundred years ago when things like the Internet didn't exist, obviously. You wouldn't think about that 50 years ago. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong. I mean, you do have freedom of the press. You are able to put that out there. But what he is just doing is he's he's expressing the truth. Uh, I mean, he is saying because the New York Times had that information and put it out there, now we lost our chance. Is that true? I, I don't know. I'm not I'm not in the inner circle of the White House, so I can't tell you that. But I'm just telling you with them running that story, Donald Trump is just saying, hey, New York Times, 
you just interfered with a national security national security issue that I'm working on. So, you know, it is what it is at that point. There is nothing he can do legally about it because the New York Times has the right to publish a story like that yeah. to put that out there to the yeah. to the public. But, um, I mean, you tell me your thoughts. You tell me your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So, like, I'll say a couple things here. Um, first, first off, you are right that like today's day and age, when it comes to the releasing of information, um, you know, this is never. We've never had this type of technology in human history. Um, on planet Earth, so the whole I, we're we're kind of in new territory when it comes to being able to handle um, leaking. I mean, like even when you look at ten years ago, like social media wasn't really that strong ten years ago in two thousand seven. I mean, we didn't we had MySpace and barely Facebook, but uh, like nowadays, like virtually most of the world can be connected through through free cheap technology so so the power of it is much more potent so i will say that um and then also i agree with you with when it comes to journalism that you know it's their duty and their right that i think that it is to carry out these these um you can call them leaks if you want i think it's like fair relevant transparent information that should be transparent to um the real world i think it's i think it's a leak this is where our viewpoints like are kind of you know uh, differ. I think it's a leak to someone who doesn't want it to come out because it's not in favor of what most people would consider as fair and injustice. It, it looks sketchy. Um, so when I when I interpret these um, these complaints that our current president is is claiming um, via the famous social media site. Basically, what I'm hearing is he has bad leadership. Do you remember? Do you remember in our last our last president? Um, I know you loved him. His name, um, uh, his last name started with Obama. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was Obama. I, I remember. Uh, yeah, he was famously called No Drama Obama. There was hardly any leaks that came out of that. And, and the belief there is that strong leadership comes with less leaks. The more unsatisfied staff members that you have, i.e. the more staff members that do not believe in you, and you have to understand that most, not everyone who, who Trump hires to be a White House staff is necessarily like a Republican or necessarily a Republican that believes in him. You know, there's a mix of people, as there should be. If there's a Democrat in, in, in office, a president in office, and all he has is Democrat um, employees, I would, I would be upset. Because, you know, I think there's greatness in both sides that needs to, to be mixed in to, to get an overall formula that's going to lead to the success of us as America. But we're constantly, even before he was president, seeing leaks that, that he's not willing to see. And it's not the media. Look, CNN doesn't work for Donald Trump. So you can't complain at CNN. Um, you could say that CNN is slightly left or CNN is slightly right well they're obviously not slightly right but I'm saying in news in general they might be slightly left or right or or more so just neutral but CNN is doing what they think is fair journalism and as long as the facts are correct there's always going to be a gray line or gray area when it comes to interpreting the facts and that's exactly that you say that he is that these leaks are outrageous and he has every right to, to call out the leaks where I say he is being the same complaining, non-productive president and he is just 
just being an outrage person. Okay, but let me play devil's advocate here for a second. Okay. okay. You just said it yourself that CNN is a little left-leaning. Um, New York Times. It is a little left-leaning. I'll say that. New York that. Times definitely a little left-leaning. So loyalties do come into play. One thing, and this is, you know, this might be some Alex Jones Infowars.com coming out right now, and, and I don't want to be a skeptic or seem like someone who's paranoid. You about to do a fresh hot take right now? I might be doing hot a hot take. take right now. But what I'm saying is when you have an interest in politics, in the political office, um, let's say, hey, you know what? We're going to give you this information so you're the exclusive first one to run this story. It makes you guys look good. But, hey, don't run it until after we do our job. You're the only ones we're telling this to. Don't run it. That is what I've heard happened a lot with the Obama administration, that they would they would send information to places like CNN or the New York Times and say, hey, guys, we're going to do this. We're, we're going to achieve this. We need your loyalty. We need you to follow us, and then you know what? You guys, you guys are going to be the first ones to run this story. They do it, and then you know what happens is they become the people in the inner circles of the White House. Now, like I said, I don't want to be that Alex Jones Infowars.com kind of take on anything. I'm not trying to be a conspiracy okay. theorist, but this is what you know from what I've read with Donald Trump, with people in his administration. This is what they've said has been an issue is the fact that Obama is the only president who's been in office, like you said, during the high rise of social media and news being available. He was the first. He was. So this is this is our first Republican president. This is our first conservative, if you call him that, conservative president, that's been in office during this time. Now, with all these outlets, media channels, being against that type of mindset, they might do what they want to do to release the information early so that way they can kind of put him in a bad spot. I'm not saying it's what's happening. I'm just saying you have to you have to say that might be a possibility because that is the word that's been out there and that is what some people really do believe in this country. They they believe that's going on. So yeah, I mean like I I kind of understand what you're saying, but I really really don't because I have more faith in the media. I have more faith in CNN. If Obama was this corrupt liberal who is working with Russia, I have a hundred percent faith that CNN would would. I mean, I don't think they would try to help the conservatives out because that's not journalism. I think they would expose the truth. Which, if assuming other parties were more honest, um, then that would end up helping them. And I think that's what's going on right now. I think like. I don't think CNN is specifically helping Democrats. I think they're specifically trying to expose what's going on and saying that this kind of um, non-transparency is not normal instead of whereas the current administration is saying, you know, this is normal. And the only reason why you think it's not normal is because of the corrupt media. I don't think that's the case. I think that they're they're saying it's not normal and that they're they're pushing back hard because of how how fine of a line there is to going to to developing into or trying to uh, make rules like they are as far as like authoritarian authoritarian state you know like when you when you see states like such as Russia where like the freedom of the press i mean they may have freedom of the press but it might not necessarily be freedom like it it may more so be like where there's like death threats and things like that where actually people do die from like um, you know the f- from the government officials like hiring other people like that we're not we are not that nation so that's how I look at things 
and I agree. And I think this is right here. This is a perfect example of the division in our country right now. You have people out there that believe that, but you also have there is a base out there right now that they do believe what I just said. They do believe that the media is working in their own interest. Um, there, are, I mean, there are, there are outlets out there. There are their podcasts. They out do, there. they do. But what? Okay, you know that's actually a perfect segue. You know, the majority of Trump's bases, Trump's base are 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 honestly hardworking, good people, very hardworking, great people. I, um, you know, I have the awesome privilege of living in the state of Indiana, which, in my opinion, is probably one of the greatest states in the United States. But not for weather, of course. No. Insert drum roll. Um, but uh, I think a lot of them are misled in, in the sense of like the whole idea of bringing jobs back. When it comes to the current administration, though I will say to his fairness, it's only been six months, um, a little over six months. He has not done anything. And honestly, he has not, he has not addressed the true problem, which is automation. When it comes, most of his base are people who are low skilled but hard workers, and unfortunately, those jobs are phasing out to technology, which where you don't have to not you don't have to pay technology as much as you do pay a person. When I say not as much, I'm saying there's obviously the cost of repair, there's obviously the cost of buying and paying the company that created it, but uh, or or the cost of just having like three less people for one machine. That is the real issue, and he's not bringing that up. He's saying essentially that the the reason why we're having all these problems is because of you know the disaster that the Democrats are running, and um, whether it be like the unfair advantage or fair unfair disadvantages that businesses here have versus the businesses overseas. So essentially, paying more in taxes. Is that fair? I think you bring up a good point. Now, now let me tell you, I do agree that automation has had a lot to do with what's going on in our country right now. But I will tell you another thing, though. What you just brought up about Trump is a good point. I think he spent most of the first six months of six months of his presidency legitimizing the fact that he is actually president. Sound familiar to somebody else you might be a fan of? Um, you know. I I, I think well, he got stuff done during that time, so I don't know. If you look at his first six you months, don't, you though, don't have to try to legitimize. Like, you're not literally going out of – he never at one point was he getting impeached, so – never was one point Obama getting impeached, so you don't have to try to legitimize anything. And Trump is not for impeachment, by the way. He's, he's I not, know he's not. He's not. He's not. So well, what I'm saying is, you know, he has spent the first six months of his presidency, his entire presidency, battling all these Russia allegations that are not true. They're he, not true. That's the thing. You don't have to battle them. If you're not getting impeached, you don't have to battle. But when it's all that's focused on, then it becomes a little bit more of a stressful situation. Now, he has done some great things. He he has focused more on tax reform. He's trying to get that through. It's not going to happen yet because right now there is a bigger focus, and that is on health care reform, which is going on. We'll probably talk about that here in a little bit. Um, Another thing is you're talking about jobs. He has secured some jobs. He has prevented some jobs by going out of this country he did rip apart tell me he tell me tell me tell me what jobs tell me tell you what jobs oh do you live in the city of indianapolis are you talking about carrier 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 was essentially he saved like maybe like 75 jobs uh he saved, they were still leaving and not only that they were using all that money that they got from indiana 
and they were using it towards automating the plant. So really, he just put like a small, he didn't even put a Band-Aid on the problem. He put like this Band-Aid that dissolves like in the course of six months on the problem. He did that before he was president, though. Okay, he wasn't even president. But he, they gave up more things in Indiana because Mike Pence was the governor. They gave up more things in Indiana than they probably should have just to keep this company around for 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 longer than they should have. When honestly, if you're like a true if you're a true person in economics, you should have just let that company leave and, and, and put desirable like conditions in so another company can take its place. So you said seventy five. You, you tell those 75 guys who are working right now that, hey, you know what? You guys aren't worth anything. We'd rather go ship them to Mexico. That's not what I'm saying. Honestly, for all those so – for and, and that's just like an, an estimated number. It was – like we don't have an official number. No. Um, it was far less than what that administration at the time had, had come up and said. That's all we know. Um, but that – absolutely. Like for those individuals, you know, like God bless you. I'm happy for you. And I think that's – like they – I'm happy that you're able to provide your family more. But but the thing is, that's not going to last much longer. And until we have like a solution in front of you where you're going to be able to provide your family for the long term until you're able to retire, and hopefully you retire at an age where, where it's right for you, uh, you know, not something where you're working through injuries or, or just because of old age where you're working through that just because you don't have enough saved up because of the 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 lack of um, you know security in the economy. Hopefully, we have something in place for you that, that that's much better than that. But what I'm saying is, like, it's good that you have a job now, but at the same time, it's not the solution. Like, yes, he went out and did this, but a lot of political decisions are made um, based off what makes sense for like the majority of the population, and that's not that's not one of them. I mean, I think that's great that they did that. Hopefully, it's the benefit. It, it's more good for Indiana than not, but if it's not, then, I mean, it's hard to say that there was any success there. And you know what? Y- you could be right. Like I said, this is just an example of something he did before he was president. Um, I know there was an instance with Ford after he became president in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he, he has done he, he has done a good job of, I think, keeping up with his promises that he made during his campaign. Those are a couple good examples of those. Um, you know, as, as far as jobs moving to Mexico, that is one thing he wants to prevent from happening. I do agree with you. Automation, I think, is one of the biggest threats to the American worker today. I think that as a government, and not as a government, as a country, we really need to figure out that problem. We need to see where where can we make it so our unemployment rate doesn't skyrocket in 20 years. Um, I, I think for you and I, we're both millennials. I think what our generation is going to see with automation is going to be one of the biggest and honestly scariest things that's going to come up in our lifetime because we're going to be in that working age when automation completely takes over. And for us, I mean, we're going to have families when that takes over. So we're going to be the ones that face that problem. I, I think yeah. as a country, we need to solve yeah. that. And, and really the Trump administration, I would challenge them to say, hey, this is one thing that needs to be on your agenda. How can we appreciate automation, know that it is something that is going to happen, but we also need to figure out what can we do to protect the American worker? I 100% agree with you right there, Jeff. I think that's spot on. And, you know, if if most of your, like, um, conservative politicians were to say the same thing, I'd, I'd honestly have a lot more faith in where, where our current system is going. 
Um, but the problem is I think a lot of them feel that the, the best way to create more jobs is through tax cuts and giving you know these businesses more money. Um, and they think that's automatically going to um, trickle down into additional projects, which is going to trickle down into additional jobs. When that's, a, that's seriously not necessarily the case. It's not even a fair correlation. Like sometimes that happens, sometimes that doesn't. You know, a, a lot of times I feel like it's fair to keep in mind that when it comes to economics, it's not an exact science. Sometimes it's more of an art. Um, and that, uh, you know, when it comes to rich people, they're, they, people who create these projects already are who they are. And to say that with additional regulations and additional um, taxes is going to keep them from being who they are, which is an entrepreneur, that's not fair. And that's, that's who, that's basically what, uh, what Republicans are saying is that these, that these tax, like these extra taxes when it comes to the automation industry is, is keeping our, you know, our CEOs and what have you, um, being able to make these next projects that's gonna that's gonna enable us to beat out the rest of the world, which is therefore going to create jobs, which is gonna swing the pendulum and pendulum into our favor. And I don't think that's that's not true. Like we're seriously we we are at a plateau effect to some degree when it comes to understanding um, how to get ahead, maybe with the rest of the world because of like maybe low wage labor and things of that. And we're kind of struggling with that. And one of our solutions is hurting ourselves through automation. Okay, I'm, I'm going to pick on one point you brought up here. Um, you're, you're talking about easing taxes and tax rates on corporations. Okay. Now, okay, one viewpoint, like you said, yeah, the, the money in their pocket, they're just going to take advantage of that, whatever. I don't think they're going to take it. I think they're going to save it. Like I, I, I think they're very wise with their money, but it's like more extra money does not lead to more projects. Like sometimes it just means some more money in your pocket. And that might be the case for some. You're, you're probably right. There are probably, you know what, heck, let's say 15% of those out there, and that's a low rate, I'm sure, are probably going to do that. Now, the other, on the other side, though, is what you, what you provide, though. You provide less regulation. You're not strangling the American corporations out there, and you're allowing them to grow. And you know what that will do is that will allow maybe a little bit of time for us to, to figure out how to handle the automation situation. Because what happens is, yeah, if, if the American worker is working right now, if, if our unemployment is low, which I believe right now, I'm not sure on the exact percent, but it is the lowest it has been since before the Great Recession. Well, I mean, that's nothing that the current administration can take credit for. And I'm not saying they can. I'm not. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying though is, allowing more people to work, putting that out there, and having the ability, as far as corporations are concerned, allowing them to use, I guess, have that ability. Um, you know, you're hurting the American worker if you're putting more regulation on them. I know, I know you're saying that taxes are better. It goes into the government. It, it helps our economy. Not always. No, it doesn't. And I don't, I don't think saying. the government's uh, I don't the most efficient that. machine in the world. And I, and I think that is. I think there's a delicate balance. And you know, for me, I, I think less regulation is better. I, I'm not saying that everything is going to be perfect. I'm not going to say that you are wrong. That every company out there is going to do this this way. But on the other side of the coin, uh, you know, let's say, hey, uh, more regulation, more taxes, more this, more that, more providing for the worker. I, I think. We're probably going to get this here into a second. Is is healthcare um, providing benefits to those that work forty hours a week? Well, you know what's going to happen is 
and this is this has happened with companies out there. I, I think we know a couple of those that probably are. I, I won't mention any specifically by name, but what they do at that point is they actually lower the amount of hours their employees can work. So then, now these employees are making less money. They still aren't eligible for benefits. And all you've done is you've hurt the American worker at that point. And that is why that base out there that voted for Trump voted for Trump because they're the ones that saw the reality of that. They're the ones that saw, hey, my 40-hour job just went to 32 hours a week because if they said I worked 40, I qualify for benefits. So now I have to work 32 hours on my hourly job. I make eight hours less of pay per week, which put that in a year, that's a lot of time. Uh, and they still now they're bringing home less money and they still aren't getting the same benefits. And, you know, that that is why they were upset. That is why they voted for Trump. And that's why they're looking for this administration to do something. We're only six months in. I'm going to give them another year before I really make a judgment call on if they're doing a good job or not. I would say I did the same thing, and I did respect uh, President Barack Obama enough to at least give him a year or two to see the track that he put us on and to see where that takes us. Because I, I think one thing that is an issue in America today, and, and I hope you agree with this, is we are such a red team versus blue team right now. And this has been this way, I think, even when Obama was president, that there are many out there that they want to root for their team and their people. But at the same time, and I think many people in politics, Democrats and Republicans alike, have said, root for our team. We're the American team out there. So I would challenge you, I would challenge anyone who is a liberal out there or who is against President Trump, don't be be against maybe some of the things he does, maybe some of the things he says, but let's root for the American team. Let's let's see where we are a year down the road. And, and if he's not doing a good job, that's the beauty of elections in this country. I mean, he'll only be around until 2020 if that's the case. Yeah, I mean, I wish I had faith in, in saying that if he wasn't doing a good job in a year from now, that that many people like you, including you, would like still. Um, I wish I believed that you would go the other route and say, you know, we need another president. But I don't think that's the case. I think it, we as humans have this tendency of uh, still, when we're wrong, to still dive deeper into into that strategy to hopefully come out with a positive solution like we don't like to cut our losses we never do and i think that comes with like our own personal like um, financial strategies and come with like you can really translate that that to any category but i think it definitely um correlates or it definitely is is the same when it comes to our the people that we politically um, um, encourage the people that we vote for is most of the time we're going to say okay they've been we may admit that they've been unsuccessful this far but we'll have you know x y and z why they haven't been successful and it's not necessarily because of them so um, we're not really good at uh, at uh, cutting our losses usually we usually just dive deeper down into why um, we chose that person and and thus it sustains longer but, um, you know, another one of these uh, topics, another one of the topics that are really popular, um, maybe the most pop. well, it is the most popular in, in, in our today's economy is, is health care. So, you know, anything when it comes to work, health care directly um, goes hand in hand with that. And that's mainly because a lot of em- employers provide the option of having health insurance. So if you have less jobs, you have less of an opportunity to enroll in health insurance. But um, our current president has uh, 
was voted, one of the reasons he was voted for was because he promised to have um, somewhat, not necessarily a universal health care option, but a health care option, a plan where anyone who wants health care will have it. They're not going to be, um, they're not going to be, what's the word I'm looking for right now, Jeff? No one's going to going to deny them coverage uh, based off their current circumstances. Are you looking at pre-existing conditions? Pre-existing conditions, uh, yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I'm a firm believer that everyone deserves health care. And we were talking about this earlier today, but, um, you know, you're – you do not believe that everyone deserves health care. I don't. And I, I think, don't. to be fair to you, when you say that out loud, it it's – harsh and it's harmful and it it, it immediately you know i think someone wants to not like you they don't look at you in a favorable position so i want you to go out there because after i heard your your, after i heard what you were um trying to um i guess elaborate on uh i i understood more of of your position i don't agree with it but i understood more so i want you to go ahead and just let the viewers uh, know what that your position is. Well, I, I think you're right. I, I think it is one of the hardest things in a conversation with someone when they ask you that question. Do you believe everyone out there should have health care? To, to say no, I don't, that makes you seem like you're a cruel person that just doesn't care. It makes you kind of seem like you're a jerk. I'm, I'm going to be honest. No, you're right. Yeah, I, I'm going to say that about myself. But I, I think, one, um, I think it should be a personal choice. I believe if you if you truly think that and if you're a healthy person right now and if you say, hey, I don't want health care and hey, I don't want coverage, that is your right as an American, as a U.S. citizen. It is a freedom. It is a freedom of choice and it, and it is your money and to be forced to spend that money each month if you can't afford it and you are healthy, you understand the consequences. I would hope that you are smart enough to know what you're doing. And that is your choice. But one thing we brought up, you know, we're, we're lower income families. We said lower income families that, you know, they are facing this issue that they might have their health care taken away from them. I understand that. Um, one thing I, I, I told Shella earlier, I said, you know, I, I think the hard part is knowing how they got there. Uh, you know, th- there's a lot of cases where you're brought up in an environment where, you know, I'll be honest with you. I was brought up in an environment where education was important. I knew that to have a good future, I, I had to graduate high school was as a minimum, go to college really as a minimum too, and take on the workforce from there. There are others out there that that is not their life. They grew up that nobody in their family had graduated high school, that they are just living what they knew was normal. And those are the people that, unfortunately, you know, I, I said, hey, do you watch nature shows? You know, survival of the fittest. Uh, I'm going to throw some Darwin in there. It is just one of those unfortunate things in life that not everyone is going to make it. Okay, so this actually sounds a lot harsher than I thought it would sound. Okay, it does. So it does. And I'm sorry no, to no, say No, it's that. very harsh. It's very uh, – and I um, – wow. Wow. Okay, so you're basically saying that uh, – the dumb people deserve to die. I'm not saying dumb people deserve, not at all. And, and like you said, it sounds so harsh and so cruel. You're saying that you're saying the dumb people who are gonna, okay, this I, is, it's a very complex issue which comes with a lot of like, 
conditions that were that were created when you were born and then conditions that were created because of yourself. So let's talk about an easier one to have an opinion about, which is the the ones that take up the majority of our healthcare costs, which is preventable conditions, i.e. diabetes. So mm-hmm. for anyone who doesn't know, um, type 2 diabetes for the most part is probably completely preventable. Um, and it's when you take in too much sugar in your diet over a given period of time and become too overweight. And that can also lead to um, other conditions. So you're saying that those people, because of their, I'm going to gently put it, ignorance, um, they do not deserve to have that covered if they do not have a job that's willing to pay for them or they do not have the the income that's willing to pay for insurance. They do not deserve to have that covered. I think we're all bound by our life choices. Um, Let me put it this way. You know, obviously this is going to be a a bad example probably because some of this is covered by insurance, but uh, a person that smokes cigarettes for their entire life and they get lung cancer, you know, that it's, it's a sad situation, but you know the consequences of what you do. We are educated now enough to know that drinking soda, a a bad eating habit, uh, going out to fast food every other day, it's it's not smart. Now, I know there are some that will do those things, eat McDonald's a couple days a week because that's all they can afford. I I understand that. And again, you know, like I said, it's a sad situation, and, and I feel and I sympathize with anybody that has those issues going on. I really do. But at the same time, you know, unfortunately, you did make your life choices. And it, it, like I said, it really puts you in a tough spot. And I'm not saying that I think it's great. I mean, it, it makes me really sad to, to feel like this. But at the same time, you know, America, the United States, we're the third largest population in the world. And you would think, oh, hey, that's great because you can spend all of that money. But when you have that many people having these many issues, it does become a huge burden on the taxpayer to say that this amount of our money is going to the people that we grew up with, that we made the right choices, they made the wrong ones, and now we have to pay the price for their wrong choices. So uh, the, the word I keep coming back to, and it's going to be used a lot, is complex. Um, when it comes to people's choices, for, for the example, this is diabetes only. Um, you know, every, obviously every condition has their own, like, set of circumstances that are going to be more relevant. Um, it is oftentimes cheaper to go for to, to, to go for these fast foods because not only do they taste good, you get more in abundance. Um, the unfortunate downside about that is they are addictive and keep you coming back for more, so you are buying more. But when you couple that with how stressful your life has to be to be working minimum wage jobs and and then just like how many other additional responsibilities that you may have that someone who in the middle class doesn't have like it's it's seriously hard if not impossible to to fall into these bad habits seriously like if you i i feel like if you look at any study the people that have the most resources are always going to people that are going to be that are that have the highest chance to succeed. So when you when you look into healthcare, so if you're saying someone has a limited amount of choices based on income, based off social circles and what have you, they're gonna be most susceptible to to conditions like diabetes, especially when the competing markets 
Um, they're like when it comes to the fast food industry, and I don't think Mac McDonald's, for example, is a, a, a bad person or, or you know, obviously they're not a person, but I don't think they're a bad business for doing what they're doing. But I think like it's just the nature of like when you're able to provide very cheap, good tasting food that is addictive, like this is what's going to happen. People are just going to come back and get more and more and more. Why wouldn't they? It's in their best interest in the short run. In the long run, you become overweight, you get diabetes, you have bad habits, you feel worse. But if you're living day to day, then your strategy is simply short run because you don't, you, things are so stressful that you can't even think about five years from now. And that's the benefit that people have when they're, when they have resources is someone like you right now, you know, me too. We aren't people that are wealthy. And I wouldn't even say we're in the middle class. We're probably, because we're young professionals and we support ourselves, we're probably in the lower middle class. Is that fair? That'd be fair. Might be yeah, fair. be fair. So I'm saying is, we, but we still can, can, because we don't have like a kid to support or like anything other aside from us that we need to, to, to help, we, we can plan five years from now. But when you talk about a single woman who has to live in the worst neighborhood because of income, who has to buy the cheapest stuff because she has a kid and those expenses go to clothing and everything else. Like it's hard for her to have those goals. Yes, there are people that succeed that way, but just because few succeed doesn't mean the system works. And that's my issue is we need to make the system better because when they fail, we fail because that eventually comes back around. Like everyone is connected, whether you want to like it or not. Because eventually what happens is if these people struggle so much, some get into things that, are unf that aren't good for society like drugs and gangs and things. You know why they do that? Because one, things like drugs take off the, sh the, the pain in the short run. Gangs provide like social support, things like that. Provide a group to help you survive. Like it, it, it can all go back to basic human needs. And where I'm getting at is the government, if the government doesn't step in and provide those needs, then we're also going to, we're always going to have this like epidemic of drugs and, and, and violence. And this is where I think this is a perfect uh, left versus right argument. Why should the government have to get involved? Why should the government have to do, you know, it's great to have different programs and incentives, but why should the government have to go there and do that? Why, why can't... Why can't we do that as a society? Why, why can't individuals go out there and help them? Why can't those people in those societies, why can't they realize this is what's causing the issue? What can we do to fix it? And I think that's where, you know, for me, I believe a lot on individual freedoms. I believe a lot on the individual. I think if, if I'm a person in that situation, I'm very thankful that I never did have to grow up on that, didn't have to see that. But I would say, you know, if, if you're a person in that situation, you should want to encourage yourself, and you should want to grow out of that. Um, I mean, you know what you see on a daily basis. I know it's a lot easier to say than actually do. I will admit that. But at the same time, you need to see what is going on and, and be visual and observe and take in what's going on around you. Any successful person um, that has come out of those societies, that is what they've said. Uh, you know, They've said, hey, I, I realized and I, I knew what my surroundings were. And the reason why I say this is because what happens is when the government goes in there and, and does these things like we've been doing, this, this cycle continues. This cycle continues, and you're going to continue to have what's going on today. 
That is why there's never been change. Is they ha- there's been no incentive for them to grow out of it. It's, they look at, well, I grew up, I live life, and you said, like you said, it's very short term. Hey, I hope I make it till tomorrow. The people that rise out of that, I applaud them. And and if you know you're a person out there that grew up in that situation, you did get out of it. I I seriously have so much admiration for you. But really, you know, I, I really hope that anybody in there can get out of that situation. And, and I think it kind of goes into a thing, too, where, like we said, it, it's it's unfortunate because when you have to have that burden lay on someone else, it's hard for myself or you, I'm sure, too. Like you said, we're providing for ourselves right now, but at the same time, it's hard to say, oh, I want to put all this money and invest it into and lose a bunch of money, and then I have to struggle now because someone else is struggling. I think that's where society does not want to move. I think that's where a lot of conservatives don't want to move is a socialism type state where not just one person struggles, but now everyone's about the same. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think uh, there's not going to be a simple solution. Um, I think the thing uh, I'm going to end it on this is the the biggest thing that conservatives get at is that uh, the market will automatically correct itself. So like their belief is like when it comes to cigarettes that that many people will see that cigarettes kills people. So therefore the market will adjust for itself and people will stop buying cigarettes. So people eventually ultimately have the choice of, of deciding whether or not they're going to buy the product. It's going to be the same deal when it comes to um, diabetes is that they'll see that uh, people get theoretically that they'll see that people are getting overweight from eating too much food eventually they'll see that like not not now i don't think a lot of people are seeing that i think we think it's just a thing that happens in life that we just automatically become overweight which is not the which is not the case we don't just do that um but eventually that people will become so aware of it and it'll get preached down you know from from parent to to, to kid that eventually we'll stop buying too much food and stop eating too much food and that might be the, that might be the truth eventually but the problem is the market may take a very long time to correct itself and and, and the quote that I, that I like to come down to and um, that's from a very famous uh, economist uh, John Keynes um, is that uh, in the long run we're all dead so yes in theory what you're we're going at that the whole uh, uh, leave it alone everything may work itself out may end up working but it's like what's the point if it's if it's our lives if it's our kids lives if it's our kids kids lives that are the ones that have to bear the cost of the burden and that's where regulation comes in place and that's why it's such a um, you know a delicate balance is is that we need to Government isn't always efficient. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it isn't. Um, there's not a clear-cut way of dealing with it, but we need to find a way that where we can all live a good life within this current time frame. Um, so je- politics isn't the only thing that Jeff and I uh, disagree on, but it might be the thing that we most disagree on. Um, we also are big NBA fans. Are you a big NBA fan, Jeff? Oh, I mean, hey. Grew up in Indiana. If you don't like basketball in the state, you're basically shunned. So, shunned. So, uh, do you have a good jumper? Are you able to shoot a nice three point shot? Eh, I had a nice jumper back in the job. day. Jay. Maybe a little MJ esque. Not at all. But no, not at all. No, I don't think so. 
Um, neither do I, though. I, actually, I was dreaming about shooting uh, jumpers the other day, and I, I remember shooting in a couple, and people were like, whoa. But that's neither here nor there. So ever since uh, Kevin Durant joined the Golden State Warriors, there has been what I feel uh, is a ripple effect throughout the league. So um, what I am a fan of and what sports, I think, does right is they do find a good a, a good kind of balance of, of regulations where, it, you know, whether it be, you know, sign and trade rules, whether it be, um, you know, salary floor, salary cap, they are their goal in sports is to make it competitive to where any team has a chance to eventually win a championship. So, you know, you can look at each team as a country and each country has the chance to be the top dog. You know, Cleveland at one point was the worst country in the world. And now last year they were, you could say they were the best, right? Uh, Second best, best. second best. But they won. So they're the best last they, year. They won last year, yes. Yeah, this so year, not so much, but yeah, you're so right. So the system works very well. It works well. If, if the worst team can go to the best team, then it's clearly working. Well, you have to understand, too, though, that was because of one guy making a decision. LeBron James. Yes. LeBron James. So anyhow, after LeBron James, Kyrie Irving, and the Cleveland Cavaliers defeated the Golden State Warriors from a 3-1 to one deficit um, to come back and win in Golden State, um, that caused a huge stir because the Golden State Warriors then were able to sign Kevin Durant who was probably the first the greatest offensive shooter in the NBA and the second greatest overall player in the NBA so arguably the the best team signed the second best player who already had like the third and fourth best player on the team which made them unstoppable which in turn led them to winning this year's NBA Finals um, in five games, I think it honestly should have went to seven if they would have won the third game. Um, just be, and if it did go to seven, I honestly think the Cavaliers may have won just because the if you look at historically any seventh game in a series is refed completely different. And they, I mean, if you look at last year's game series, I mean they won like ninety one to eighty nine. That's so low scoring. The reason why it's low scoring is because it's more physical of a game and they they don't cause many fouls. But anyways, so there's a ripple effect that's going on. So anytime, if teams are still trying to be the number one team, they're going to make moves that that kind of seek that competitive balance. So Paul George, one of the best players in the league, asked Indiana, the Pacers, to trade him. And so now, I mean, what are your thoughts with that? Um, do you feel like, uh, it was my belief that a year ago that Pacers were so dumb that they, I mean they're dumb now, but they should have traded him a year ago. I mean hindsight's always twenty twenty. Let's just put it that way. You know, at, at first when when Paul George came out and he didn't ask for a trade right away, he, he said, "Hey, I'm a, I'm a member of the Indiana Pacers." He just said, "I am not coming back and signing with you guys next year." He had one year left in his agreement, and he said, "I'm not coming back next year." So. Read between the lines, yeah, he was basically saying trade me, but he did not come out and say those words. And really, with Paul George, um, mm-hmm. I was angry at him at first. I, I will admit that I, I think anybody in this city was angry with him for, you know, basically betraying us, for knowing that he was probably going to leave, mm-hmm. not saying anything until the last minute, and then taking his own trade value by coming out and making it public. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, for me, 
you know, I looked at, and I'm not going to harp on the Pacers too much, but I would just say looking at the Pacers organization, what have they done? And you you tell me, what is one offseason move they made this year that, that would have made Paul George happy? They got Lance Stevenson at the end of last year, but – I mean, that's not even, like, a good long – I mean, that's, like – that's an easy move. No one wanted him. No, he wasn't even up. playing. He wasn't even playing in the NBA. That yeah, was stupid. So um, – No, they're dumb. They are very dumb. Um, and I hope you're hearing this, uh, Pacers front office. What the hell are you doing? Because you should very well know that this is a player that wants to win and we had nothing to offer him. Um, so you should have traded him for a, sh- a lot of draft picks over a year ago. So that's your fault. Paul George does not know, owe anyone anything. Kevin Pritchard, what are you talking about in regards to it was a gut punch? It is a business, just like you could have traded any other player at any time. So don't give me that. And this is, you know, a Pacers fan talking out, okay? You need to be more proactive. You know, no superstars want to come to the Pacers unless we ever, by the grace of God, have a homegrown talent that's similar to that of LeBron James where they have their mission to win a goal for this team, which it might not ever happen, probably won't ever happen because it's only happened once out of 32 teams. Um, so we need to do a better job of, of playing good system ball where we have decent players and we probably stay you know, within the salary cap. Um, now you put us in a terrible position because I don't think your current draft pick what you know who they drafted this year, right? TJ Leaf. TJ Leaf. Are you serious? Yeah. Are you serious right now? TJ Leaf. Just what are you doing? And Nate McMillan as our head. Oh my gosh, I don't know. I think I honestly don't even think they know what they're doing. I I don't either. I mean, let's put it this way: Nate McMillan was an assistant on the on the, on the coaching staff. He used to be the head coach for Portland, and he got fired. He was awful. He was terrible. He was awful this year. You let Frank Vogel go. My gosh, Frank Vogel. We saw him the other night here in town. He still likes this city, yeah. and he was very much involved in this city. He's a good coach. You know, here's the thing. We had Nate McMillan. When Larry Bird made that decision a couple years ago, he said he wanted a new voice in the locker room. Well, I'm I not going to – it was to keep Paul George. I, and maybe. But Paul George and, and Vogel, from what I saw, I think they got along. But here's the thing. You fired Frank Vogel, and I'm not going to say he's coach of the year by any means – but you fired him to get a new voice in the locker room, and then you hired on your assistant coach. That's not a new voice in the locker room, and, and that's just my thoughts. Um, another thing, and, and I think we talked about this the other night too, was you know for the Pacers from a front office standpoint, we got Victor Oladipo in that trade for Paul George. Yep. All right. I I'm a Purdue guy. I will say that um, I I have my own bias there, but at the same time. What I'm going to say is, for the Pacers, what I've noticed over the last five years really is they've always tried to go for that Indiana guy. We got Jeff T. We got George Hill. We have Victor Oladipo now. Uh, you know, I, I, you know that's great. That's great that you want to go that way. But just understand that just because someone has that in-state connection doesn't mean that, oh, hey, yeah, that's great. I told you this. I liken this to all they're trying to do right now is get people to go to games. And that's the only hope we have is to keep our franchise in this city, which I don't think right now there's any – you know, I don't think they're in danger of moving. But I think right now you want to say, hey, we got Victor Oladipo out there, IU fans. Come to our games. Buy season tickets. Because they knew they were losing Paul George. 
Um, I mean, hey, if you're going to go for an Indiana guy, we said this too, why didn't you convince Mike Conley to come here? He's the best player from this state. Oh, we would be so lucky. I mean, why would he want to come here? Why would he? He's he's. On, we talked about this yesterday. He's the second best player. He's probably the second best player in that, well, maybe third best player overall in that 2007 draft where, uh, yeah. I mean, you had Marcus Gasol in there, right? Yeah, you had Marcus Gasol. You he had ended Kevin up Durant. being like he probably ended up being the second, maybe the second best player, but probably, I think overall Mike Conley, as far as like immediate impact is concerned, obviously the first is going to be KD there. But, um, yeah, I think it's going to be a crazy league. Just yesterday we found out that Kyrie Irving is requesting a trade from the Cleveland Cavaliers, which is kind of heartbreaking for me because I'm a big LeBron fan, and I guess uh, also a Kyrie fan. But that was a good one-two combo. So um, you could say what you want about LeBron, that he may not be the greatest, but I think he ultimately affects the league maybe more than Golden State. Because you can say that Golden State wouldn't have KD if it wasn't because of LeBron. I mean, you can make that argument, but also, let's be honest, when you're a front office, if you have a chance to get better, you're going to take it. I mean, no well, LeBron they, impact if, there. Do you think if Golden State would have won, that KD would have honestly won it? I mean, if you're Kevin Durant and you have that chance, why wouldn't you? I know, but then you look at, like, when you're a player, like, how bad it would look at your own reputation if you joined the championship team. If he cared about his reputation for joining the Golden State Warriors, but they lost. That's the main. That's the main selling matter. point. That's the main selling point. They need him. They need. He him. was. He, he was up they on lost. them. Was it? Was it three one or three? He was three one. It was three one. He was three one. He was up on them three one in the Western Conference Finals. If, if he cared that much about that, he wouldn't have done it. I, no, I'm sorry. but that's not. That's not the finals though. The th- Anyways, we'll never know. We will never know. That's the thing. That's the beauty of it. But me well, as a firm LeBron James. Uh, believer um, and uh, very big NBA fan. I think that he was, he was the you know, I guess the egg before the chicken or whatever. He was the reason why this all happened. And now um, he is the he's part of the reason why there's chaos because part of the reason that I think Kyrie uh, doesn't want to play with the Cavs is because they he knows that LeBron's not staying. I don't think I I mean that's. That's what's coming out a little bit is that he knows LeBron's not staying and he doesn't want to be left on there for a year by himself. So he's just being proactive and saying, I want to get traded. All right. Well, hey, let me let me ask you this, LeBron fan, before we go out here. Okay. Does he go to L.A. next year? Absolutely not. I don't know where he goes. Does he stay in Cleveland? Absolutely not. All right. Those only two questions. I know that those are out there. I know ESPN is out there trying to build up that whole Lakers thing, but. Okay. Real question is, do the Cavs go back to the finals next year? Depends. Do they have Kyrie? I don't know, man. Just right now, you had to say, do the Cavs go back to the finals next year? With their current roster, I will say the Cavs will beat the Boston Celtics. You can put it down. Put it in writing right now. Uh They will beat the Boston Celtics four games to two in the Eastern Conference Finals. And go to the finals. All right, all right. I think that's a good place to uh, end everything on. Um, I mean, we're just going to have to look back at this podcast a year from now and kind of uh, see where we were right or wrong. But, uh, Jeff, I want to say thank you for coming on the pod today. I really appreciate your insights, and uh, I look forward to having you come on um, once again. Hey, thanks for having me. Be happy to come back. 
Uh, great to be on Undecided. Uh, you know, wish you the best of luck with this. Looks like it's awesome so far. So, hey everyone, like always. Police.